You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. Today we look at both sides of venture investing, that of equity positions and lending to fledgling companies, with two noted practitioners in the space. One uses big data techniques to discern among SaaS or software as a service and other technology borrowers and the other makes investments in the companies that can benefit from the lower operating costs of being based in Toronto and also take advantage of the exit metrics of Silicon Valley. Both will comment on the move to online given the COVID-19 crisis. James Braun is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome. This is Alternative Thinking, and I'm James Burron with CASA. It's Friday, April 24th, and today we have Paul Dugson with Raven Capital and Al-Karim Jaraj with Espresso Capital. Let's uh, start with introductions. We'll start with you, Paul. Thanks, James. Uh, yes, I'm a managing partner of Raven Capital, and Raven is a technology venture capital fund with offices in Toronto and in Silicon Valley. We're focused on early stage investing, uh, primarily Series A mm-hmm. investments. Cool. So what's the what's kind of the connection between Silicon Valley and Toronto? I mean, obviously like, there's technology, but was there something deeper there? Yeah, we uh, we are a relatively new fund, and we, we've noticed um, that in addition to focusing on uh, finding revolutionary tech with, with great teams, we are focusing on, on arbitrage and cost structures between... Uh, Canada, where cost structures are lower, public dollar uh, investments are higher, and mm-hmm. uh, Silicon Valley, where uh, later stage capital is much more plentiful uh, for exits. Oh, cool. So it's basically like Toronto cost structures for, for the inputs, but then the output with the, uh, the Silicon, Valley, uh, Silicon Valley multiples. Um, so as it work, how many people do you have in Toronto? How many in Silicon Valley? And uh, uh, what, maybe what are their, their respective roles? So we have about 30% of our team in Canada and 30% of our team is in Silicon Valley and the rest are distributed um, between different innovation uh, hotspots uh, in the world. So we have a venture partner in uh, Silicon Valley, Tel Aviv, mm-hmm. uh, Zug in Switzerland, uh, New York, and they're all, they're all positioned there to have an ear to the ground for deal sourcing uh, intelligence. Mm. And also uh, when the companies are looking to prepare to enter a second geographic market, there's somebody with at least uh, 15 years of experience in that particular market uh, waiting for them on our team uh, to prepare the way. So that's, that's kind of how we're distributed. So we, are, we have a team of about uh, 12 people. Wow. That's cool. Um, and so what, what are investors buying? Is it a like a traditional private equity fund, uh, evergreen fund, or uh, specific deals? Or how, how do you how do you work with investors? So investors for us, um, <clears throat> they are uh, placing um, or making commitments into into our venture capital fund, and in mm-hmm. exchange uh, for that commitment, they get membership units. Um, it's a it's a classic venture capital structure. So. Um, basically, they they're making a, a, a commitment to a ten year instrument. What they're getting in return is the carried interest, basically, and it's distributed much as you as 
you might expect in a classic venture capital model. Oh, great. And uh, how about you, Alkarim? What, 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 uh, what have you been up to at Espresso there? And you have, you have a long history in, in lending and, uh, and software as well, right? Yes. Uh, we've, been, uh, we've been in business for uh, 10 years. Uh, my background is uh, software, technology, investment banking, and then venture capital, and now uh, venture debt. Uh, and, you know, our business is specifically focused on lending to fast-growing technology companies active across North America, uh, mainly software companies. Um, and, um, you know, the, the real driver for the type of uh, capital that we provide is to provide strategic flexibility to companies and their investors. You know, what we're doing is providing uh, an alternative uh, form of capital for growth financing or extending the runway. And, you know, the, the strategic flexibility comes in deciding to raise money today versus raising it a year from now when you might be worth 50%, 100% more or selling your business now versus selling your business in two years where it's going to be worth more. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I usually, most, most people think about venture or, or buying into businesses. It's always the equity side. And then bonds is usually like big companies, Pepsi or whatever, might be issuing bonds. But how do you... Um... Like how does venture debt work? Like how do you how do you figure out how much to to lend and when to lend it and when to take it back and uh, do you have like goalposts or milestones for them or this is uh, it's pretty interesting because it's a bit of like a, it's a it's a mini obviously a mini company it's a smaller company there's risk there um, so how do you uh, how do you mitigate those risks? For sure, venture debt looks uh, quite different from other forms of debt, uh, and it's particularly suited to companies that have you know. Uh, software companies, uh, SaaS companies, where you might spend a dollar uh, in sales and marketing to acquire 70 cents of contribution, recurring contribution margin that has a long lifetime, say, seven to 10 years. And mm. so uh, that's the type of situation where it works best. Uh, the cash is spent for sales and marketing. Uh, and yes, you're burning cash, but that's discretionary and you can always dial it back if uh, more cash is not available. So that's an important attribute of the, of the loans. Um, and then, you know, the, the, you, you know, you asked about risk mitigation, you know, the, 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 the universe we uh, lend into, you know, they've got very sticky revenues mm -hmm. that are very portable. You know, if you think about uh, um, my software, it really runs on the Amazon cloud. Uh, I've got 5,000 customers. Uh, I've got lots of people who I compete with who can very easily uh, buy my business by assuming ownership of my uh, instance of the Amazon cloud. And, uh, you know, so, so, so that's an important part yeah. in, in these loans that you can, if you have to exit, there is a straightforward path to exit a loan. That's wild. And I guess, so did the, are you competing with banks and other lenders or um, is it like a spot that you have to your own or is there, is there a lot of folks like you that are, that are lending into this area? And then what's say the, the benefits and drawbacks of, of uh, the type of market that you're in? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's definitely very specialized uh, lending. And so, uh, you know, it's not necessarily, it's not as, as competitive as let's say the middle market lending. Uh, there are other players, and you know, I'd say that there's kind of two camps. There's banks providing senior loans, and then there's non-bank lenders providing unitranche loans. Um, and then there's Espresso mm. that provides unitranche loans like the non-bank lenders, but also we provide second lien loans behind the banks 
which is kind of unique to us. And so if you want to think about, you know, the debt stack, you can think of it as a first lien senior, second lien senior, giving you the unit tranche total. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, di truly differentiate us is, uh, is our ability to be a partner to bank lenders, which obviously is a great source of de uh, deal flow for us. So is your takeout typically they get profitable and, and just pay, pay, pay off their loans or that you, it, it kind of, you say graduates, but it becomes like, it becomes bank paper after that. And that they use that to take out your, uh, your position. And then what's the, what's the difference maybe in fees that they would pay between you and, and, uh, and a bank or, or is that just, uh, are you entirely different, different areas there? Yeah. So, uh, uh, first part in terms of takeout, uh, you know, uh, if you think about our market, there's all sorts of segmentation. We play in the five to 15 million loan size market. Uh, you know, the companies we're lending to have growth rates anywhere from 40 to hundred um, percent. And so, you know, these companies are going to attract multiple rounds of equity financing. And so in the main, we're kind of helping uh, extend their runway in, let's say around B to around C or around C to around D, right? Just the timing for that follow-on raise. So, mm -hmm. so our, our first takeout is they've raised a whole bunch of cash. And so they don't need debt on their balance sheet. And, uh, you know, a bank comes along and gives them a very cost uh, line of credit, which they do not draw down. And so they've replaced the debt with a uh, lower cost solution. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two is, uh, uh, you know, uh, they haven't raised more equity, but a bank comes along and offers to replace what we're providing. Uh, because the company's grown and so the, the first lien senior bucket is expanded. So that's a second exit. And the third exit is the company kind of, we got them to a, an exit point and so they've sold and we get repaid. So those are typically one of three types mm. of scenarios we get paid in. And then, you know, looking at the pricing, you know, the banks will typically charge kind of, you know, let's call it six-ish percent, maybe a little less. Um, the people like you, like us are charging 12 to 14-ish percent. Uh, and so if you look at that, um, if you're a unit tranche lender, you're going to be charging 9 to 12%, right? And so it's really half and half. And so, uh, uh, you know, the, the pricing is pretty standard across the industry. Well, they have an incentive to leave, but then they, yeah, they've, uh, they, yeah, I guess you're, you're probably more flexible or easier to, is it easier to get money from you? I shouldn't say easy, but... Uh, because you're closer to the industry or is there another benefit to the company? Well, first of all, remember, uh, if you are thinking, uh, am I going to raise equity now? That might be a three to six month cycle where you come to us and we can find you in 30 days. So yes, it's easier. It's faster. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, uh, these are, you know, our loans are pretty low leverage loans. They're, you know, we do not go more than 20% of the enterprise value and the average loan is actually 10%. And so, you know, our, our, uh, because we're sitting at or near the top of the stack, our, our diligence is focusing on different types of risks. Our exit, our investment horizon and our uh, exit uh, path is different from an equity investor, right? So uh, they obviously need to take longer for uh, those reasons. And so there's the convenience factor for sure. But there's also mm -hmm. the other element, which is just, you know, what's the cost of capital and what's the dilution? Equity is going to cost you, you know, 20, 30, 40%, right? And if venture debt's mm. costing you in the low single digits, then it's a no-brainer, uh, and particularly if you're fast growing. And so that's that's kind of in the you know in the in the decision equation for uh, for borrowers. 
Great. Let's go back to the equity side there where, um, like I say, it's an entirely different game and it's a bit more, um, like you do have those pre-seed, seed, A, B, C, K uh, tranches of money coming in. So um, what, what kind of, like in, in, uh, without Grimshop, like 40 to 100% growth a year. Wow. I mean, it's, uh, well, startup, I guess. Everything's kind of like that. But uh, what are you looking at in your uh, your companies, uh, Paul, specifically for uh, like rates of return, um, or even like uh, maybe even some examples of, of shops that you or companies that you started to back already? Right. So, um, well, just to just to add on to the uh, conversation around debt, we have made a small allocation. Uh, within our fund uh, for venture debt, but in a very specific way. So a Series A investment in Canada is typically a three to eight million dollar range. The company could be with within our fund for anywhere from eighteen months to five years. Let's say it depends on when they're ready to be exited and and uh, the conditions, whether their market or uh, conditions or the company itself is. Mm-hmm. Uh, shorter cycle for its technology or what have you. Um, And it could be that some of the strongest companies in our portfolio that are getting ready for their next round of financing have a risk, you know, they're running out of cash, but they just need a bit more time uh, to get there. And all, and all the conditions are pretty well in place. So we might offer a, a debt note, that is convertible, uh, so that upon the uh, that that gives them that that extra runway. We may have already taken the equity stake, and then this gives us a chance to uh, either have a, a return off of the debt, or if they they don't meet uh, if they don't make their payment, then it converts uh, into further equity, which hmm. then also increases our return uh, either way. So we use it in that very specific way, not all the time, and it's not our main business. But it is something um, that adds a little bit of flexibility to what we're planning to do. Um, now, you've heard the rates of return in in the in the space that Espresso is playing in, and that you know that is what we see as, as well. Um, I would say that private equity, uh, a little bit uh, further um, up the spectrum from us, uh, is generating mm. between fifteen to twenty percent returns on their portfolios typically. So as venture as venture capital, we we have to offer a rate of return or be looking at a rate of return that's higher than that uh, in order to justify um, the investors placing their money with us versus entering into that space because that's the the venture debt space yeah. the, the private equity space are attractive spaces and and those are the rates of return that, that they expect. So the the average return that a, a brand name, a venture capital fund, is has been pulling in, like a Sequoia or or whatever, has been in the thirty eight to thirty nine percent internal rate of return. My partner in the fund, Supreet uh, Manchanda, he uh, was involved with a, a VC um, that had a sixty five percent IRR on it. A very exceptional. Very exceptional return. I, it, that is not something that we we promise uh, uh, because it's it's not typical. Uh, but it is something that we have had experience with uh, on a Series A fund. We we are we have to target that thirty five percent to forty percent return. If we were in a Series B fund or more, when you're dealing with this is the growth phase 
um, the returns are are a little bit less than that. You mm. don't have that high exponential rate of growth. It's starting to flatten a little bit, um, but uh, still, those funds are generating like thirty percent. Uh, IRR. That's why venture capital will look at a thousand deals and and invest in in five of those. Uh, you know that they're looking for exceptional opportunities because they have to generate high returns. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A thousand. Uh, Got to find the needles in the haystack there. How about for you, Alcarim? If you're looking, do you look at like a thousand uh, potential borrowers and then decide to to fund the ones that like a few of them and and how long do they stay with you? Is it like uh, like uh, Paul said, me his is like eighteen months, maybe five years. Um, uh, do you find that they that w- w- oh, when do you find that the takeout occurs in your book? Yeah, so our you know some some of our borrowers could be with us as little as one year, and some as much as five years. Uh, I'd say, you know, the, when you look at averages, they're probably around 30 months. Um, and uh, so that's kind of the life of each investment. Uh, remember, uh, a huge chunk of our book is sponsor back. So it's got a VC like Paul, who's already done their work. And so, uh, and so by the time they come to us, you know, uh, we have pretty straightforward criteria. How fast are you growing? How efficient is your sales uh, engine? Uh, how efficient is your overall growth engine? Uh, what are your unit economics uh, in terms of you know how long how long is this revenue that you're generating sticking around? Uh, and then there's some qualitative things we look at. You know, uh, what's the quality of your revenues broadly? Are you a mission critical solution? Are you a core business operations software? Are you an email plugin? Right, and so. Uh, and so that those things very, uh, uh, very quickly in the first call, uh, help us figure out if it's a fit for us, given that a lot of our flow is coming from, uh, you know, uh, uh, the sponsors themselves of the banks, uh, generally speaking, we have our higher conversion rate, I'd say probably one out of four. Wow. That's cool. Um, let's talk about running out of money, because uh, we're in the COVID crisis and some people are running out of money. But uh, so, how has that affected what you're doing? Uh, let me start with uh, with Alcarim again. Like, so you're in technology, you're on the cloud. Imagine everything's going up there. You must be making money hand over fist. Uh, but then, I guess you don't really have as much upside because it's it's uh, it's uh, you know it's equity or it's uh, it's bond based. So how 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 have your portfolio companies been doing? Great question. Uh, so so uh, I think across the board, I think what you're going to see is uh, companies we'll see their uh, growth rates come down. So I think, you know, if you were growing at uh, 50% last year, maybe you will grow at 25 or 30% this year, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less, depending on what sectors you're exposed to. Uh, you know, if you're enterprise, uh, selling to enterprises, you're going to have a less of a compression, but your sales cycles might stretch out, right? So there's, uh, there's those factors. And, uh, and so you, you were maybe planning on, you know, uh, increasing your um, sales and marketing expenditures by 50% to support that growth. And so in this environment, we're talking to all our portfolio companies and making sure that they've uh, looked at their, uh, their financial plans and right-sized it for what may be mm-hmm. realistic outcomes and making sure that they're right-sizing their expenditures to match. And so that means, you know, getting rid of all discretionary expenditures and then in many cases, you know, the people are looking at their headcount and making sure that either they're not adding planned headcount or in some cases where they need to, to, to reduce their headcount. And really the, the decision is 
you know, driven by the following factors. If, uh, you know, the COVID crisis is not impacted demand or is increasing demand and you're cash rich, then you want to press the gas and grow. If, mm-hmm. uh, if you've got pressure on your demand, uh, then you want to scale back to make sure that you're not, um, you know, you're not uh, running out of cash or you're light on cash, then you want to, regardless of your circumstances, unless you can add more cash, cut back on your expenses so you can uh, get, it, uh, get into break-even mode. And so that's, that's what we've been focused on with our, with our portfolio based on their specific circumstances, ensuring that they can you know, uh, ride out a worst-case scenario and uh, make sure that they can continue to prosper in the future. So how do you make the decision of a company that uh, you find, well, it, it'll keep going through the crisis, it'll still grow, maybe it's not growing as much, but you know, they do need cash. They're not obviously cash rich because uh, they're, they're, they're asking for more. Or maybe you find, maybe you, maybe you say to them, hey, you, know, you guys aren't going to make it. Like, <laughs> uh, how do you decide uh, how much or if you will extend more credit to them? And then are there, what kind of terms do you typically have I don't know if you've gone through this already with a few uh, few of your clients, but it's just interesting to see what happens in a, in a crisis like this. Yeah, so you know, first of all, uh, you know, there's a ton of uh, support programs from the government, so everyone's trying to take advantage of all of those. Mm-hmm. And then, secondarily, we're having uh, conversations with uh, you know the sponsors, people like Paul, uh, and asking uh, you know what they're doing. Um, to support their portfolio companies, uh, you know we're we're pretty intimate with our portfolio, and so you know we were able to triangulate the at-risk companies and quickly uh, get into those conversations. And absolutely, part of the solution us is us needing to add to their credit, you know, uh, if necessary, kind of expanding the box a little bit. We are doing everything to ensure that all of our companies survive, and all of our loans eventually get repaid. And so yeah. if we need to give them more now to aid our cause, then that's the right thing to do. That's excellent. Thanks. And how about your side, Paul? Uh, I imagine, if not yet, it's at some point, some of your portfolio companies will be uh, maybe having to draw money earlier. If they're not able or don't want to do it through the lending side, um, what, what do you think might change in some of the equity terms or uh, the ability of some of the VCs like yourselves to, uh, to keep these companies going? And how do and then how do you make the decision of, yeah, actually, it's gonna, we're going to have to cut, cut bait here uh, or, or actually go in more and then how much equity are you going to take for that, that, uh, that chunk of money? There's a number of different angles to look at this. So uh, I certainly echo what Al Karim was saying in terms of partnering with, with different uh, players in the finance spectrum. So in Canada, at that Series A level, it's really possible for a VC to make an equity investment, partner with a, a venture debt a player, and also take advantage of the public sector investments that happen. And that, and that's that's one thing, uh, which is to sort of diversify how that ultimate financing or capitalizing um, activity has has to and mm-hmm. can happen. So the second angle is that's a different approach than we might take in other ecosystems. So in um, Northern California, uh, which has a very, very mature venture capital uh, community, the public sector dollar isn't really available in terms of the tax incentives and the grants and that sort huh. of thing that we have in Canada. They, they are Because they've just been around for so much longer, there's, there's so much more wealth created from that 
uh, it, it's just further along. Now that you know all of this emergency funding, yes, that that is flowing. It's just that, that that's the, that's a difference between Canada and and Northern California at the moment. And then if we contrast something like if we make an investment in Singapore or uh, Israel or something like that, those are those are ecosystems that that three months ago may have been a little bit more attractive than they are at this particular moment in time, just because everybody is able to travel and everybody is able to get to their second markets. But each of those ecosystems, although they're very dynamic at a seed and pre-series A level, uh, you know, once they get to the looking for series B, they, they have to be operating in multiple markets because Singapore is 4 million, Israel's, um, you know, similar size and they just they 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 depend on a globalized you know travel environment and and market environment whereas it is possible at those at the uh early stage or the smaller mm-hmm. size company to exist within the canadian market or to launch within the us so wh- whatever was the strongest and more most mature uh, sort of innovation hub or ecosystem that is even more the case now so the the geographic component is is really important consideration. One of our LPs, he himself uh, provides backend support for about 1,500 startups in um, Silicon Valley. And he was indicating that he's seeing, on one hand, you know, maybe 25% of their revenue base will disappear over the next 30 to 90 days Thanks. from what their, their existing portfolio of companies is. But on the other hand, their funnel's already... Uh, filling up with um, companies that new companies, new startups, and so on, and and you know accounting and human resource um, uh, outsourcing is is not a luxury. That his the services he provides are are essential. Um, and large, whether the company is small or large, uh, everybody's going to be looking to cut costs. And uh, if they can outsource some of their services, um, then then they will. And so I agree also that cash is very important. Um, so th- that's the third angle. As a fund, uh, it depends where you are in your deployment. So if you're 100% deployed and you're and you were in the the later stages of of your venture fund and you're harvesting there could be a problem because um, the companies will need more cash to get through, or some, at least some of the companies, the portfolio will need more cash to get through it. If you're midway, you have a balance there between uh, waiting for the smoke to clear and the newer, the newer trends and, and technologies that become even more relevant now uh, sort of present themselves for investment. So you might be holding back on new investments for the next 90 days at least. Um, but you, then you're you're looking at after the the, the runways and and doing cost cutting um, uh, measures inside of those portfolio companies. And if you're where we are, which is a new fund and making our first investments, we are in a pretty good space um, because we we don't have that pressure on us right now of having um, released companies, you know, in, funds into companies that just hit this wall. You know, valuation is very important in, in the VC space. And a lot of VCs are certainly doing uh, write downs on the valuations of their portfolio companies. And um, as a result, they're increasing the stake that they actually own of those companies in order to protect themselves. So you mentioned like many different geographies, and that's both for the companies, but also the investors. So um, if there is social distancing, I think 
was it? Well, Harvard said 2022. I think that's when everything gets back to normal, but we probably won't be getting on planes. I was looking at some, maybe going to Europe in the fall for something, and I just can't really even find any good flights. So how, uh, and what, who knows what's legal later, later as well. So how can you do uh, due diligence on uh, a venture cap company? Um, or can you do it without actually visiting them? Uh, do you do it? Can you do it strictly through Zoom and Skype and these types of things? Where um, and then the emailing documents and such without actually like say physically going and saying, "Hey, what's in that drawer?" Or uh, you know, look actually looking them in the uh, the actual eyes versus ones that are through the uh, through the cable. Uh, maybe let's start with you, Paul. And we'll uh, take this to Al Karim after that too. Now, that's a very good question. Um, so we have a kind of a funnel um, where we where maybe the physical due diligence is you know, every stage of, of our, of our analysis process is, is increasingly more resource intensive and is kind of a stage gate. So the physical due diligence might actually be at the very last mm -hmm. stage. So some of the meetings uh, can be done face, I mean, sort of over zoom or, or whatever, and, and documents can be moved back and forth and assumptions tested and, and, and that sort of thing. I think to some extent it's waiting for the smoke to clear. That's why that, you know, I, I think some investments um, are still being made, but uh, but a lot of a lot of funds are are waiting a little uh, for a little yeah. while to to understand uh, whether or not they're going to be able to travel out and and make those those um, those important meetings happen. How about on the borrower side, Al Karim? What do you think is going to come out of this crisis? Like the last one, like the financial crisis, we uh, Uber and Spotify and many others uh, came out. Of course, many others probably flamed out. Um, uh, Al Karim, like what what? Is it most of these uh, cloud? Uh, obviously, you're probably going to be a big proponent of cloud cloud based storage, storage and and processing and and software companies. But um, maybe within that, or apart from that, wh who do you think are they going to be the so called winners from uh, from this this COVID crisis as we go through it for however many months and then emerge out of it at some point? So I think I think you know a lot of behaviors are definitely changing. I think that time of uh, maybe unified com communication may be finally here where your Slack and your Zoom and your dial pad and whatever uh, email all kind of can coexist uh, together. Uh, so I think there's going to be some advances there. I think there's going to be uh, a broad, uh, an accelerated adoption of uh, SaaS in big enterprises where they've got legacy systems that are really not built for remote working. So I think that's going to get a good mm. boost. And then there's going to be, you know, I think, I think, uh, this this is going to last longer, you know. I think uh, for the last mm -hmm. ten uh, uh, pandemics, you know, if you look back, there's always been a second wave of infections. Six months later, I think that human behavior will change, and it will continue to sh reshape the way uh, businesses operate and the products and services we consume and how we consume them. Right. And how about on the equity side, Paul? What um... If you're thinking like a, a business, if you saw what well, type of business plan put in front of you, you'd say, "Wow, that's a that's a company I want to get a piece of and, and take forward." No, absolutely. Well, um, you know, we're we're more of a B two B technology firm or fund rather, and uh, the technologies that we have been looking at uh, are probably not going to change. In fact, I, I think the the relevance becomes ever more important. So. We tend to look at um, technologies in the 5G space, in the AI space, 
um, and where these converge in sectors like med tech and fintech. So the reason for the for this is that in, in essentially with 5G, we're looking at something that is increasing the speed of data transmission and the richness of that data transmission. And and based on everything that was just talked about, you can understand why that would make sense because if more is happening remotely uh, and, and more is being uh, mm-hmm. done uh, over over the net, then that's, that, that's just it going to become even more important. So two business plans we're currently looking at very closely. There's a there's a company that uses AI, uh, a combination of four different things, a- AI, imaging technology, biomarkers, and basically a handheld app that allows patients with MS to be, um, to get care that they, that they need before they, they enter into a relapse because the AI engines are able to detect uh, changes in uh, neurological images faster than clinicians can, and it saves uh, American healthcare insurance companies a lot of money, uh, and it gets care into uh, to the patient faster. The other one that we're we're actually we've already even brought already brought into Canada is a, a mobile payment uh, uh, system. Or, or platform that white labels to telcos and emerging economies. Huh. So basically uh, jumps traditional banking, which is not actually accessible to everybody in emerging economies. We're actually assisting them on their governance structure right now. Yeah, they really guys leapfrogged. Eh? Um, but that first one you mentioned, it almost sounds like those chips that people think Bill Gates wants to put into everybody's heads because of the, uh, the vaccination. But uh, no, so you, it's it, with internet of things, it, it could, could you use it? For COVID, to say if someone has the um, the the virus, um, could it do a test and then, or is it just mostly to follow people and, and see who they're 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 coming in contact with, or is it, or am I missing it here? Well, conceptual. Okay, so it could take many different forms. So one one possibility, so Internet of Things, is basically multiple uh, sensors in a particular geographic space, and then they might be programmed to detect certain things, uh, fevers or you know whatever, and uh, do imaging infrared or, or and collect a bunch of information, of various hmm. data points feed that into a big, you know, AI engine and create actionable intelligence for people to make decisions on. So it is possible that something could be adapted. What everybody's uh, in biotech is focusing on right now is how do we get a, a quick, reliable test so that people can go back into the workforce with a, with a, you know, uh, an outcome on their mm-hmm. handheld that says, yes, I've been tested this morning. Yes, I've been tested at the end of my shift and I still don't have it. Uh, you know, so how do you collect all of that information and how do you make decisions across communities? This is the kind of stuff that AI is built for. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks to you both. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Al-Karim, for your your insights in the, the, uh, the equity side, lending, um, you know, venture cap and private lending. This has been uh, really uh, illuminating for me and I hope uh, some of our, many of our listeners will uh, look forward to have you guys uh, on one of our other podcasts again sometime soon and uh, hope you guys have a great weekend. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Al Karim. That was, uh, you know, from my standpoint, also that was very interesting, and we'll have to uh, we'll have to set up a call. <laughs> I look forward to it. Okay. Thank yes, you, James. Thanks,